Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, it is officially spring, score one for the good guys, which means warmer weather, which means you don't need as heavy a clothes. So maybe you may want to lighten up your wardrobe a little bit by head over to Leon Tailoring. That's right, maybe a nice spring jacket or maybe a nice pair of slacks or trousers or perhaps a nice spring dress uh, for the ladies in our audience. No matter what it is, Leon Tailoring can take care of all your spring needs. So spring on over Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, happy to see you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown. Indianapolis. Well, you might recall a couple of weeks ago, state police had their Twitter account hacked uh, by someone by the name of Poo Poo Head. Now, uh, what's interesting about all this is that if state police can be hacked and their official Twitter account, just imagine what we can do for the rest of us. So join us on the news line is Aaron Rose. He's a security architect uh, with a company called Checkpoint to kind of help us sort of navigate uh, how to protect yourself from hacking. So Aaron, thank you very much for being with us. We do appreciate it, sir. Thank you, Abdul. Thanks for having me. Uh, so help us out here. First of all, uh, how does hacking actually work? What exactly is it? Uh, give, our, give our audience a definition, if you could. You know, that's interesting. Um, the, the term hacking has evolved over the years. You know, originally hacking uh, is the idea of using something in a way that it wasn't intended or, or changing or exploring something. Uh, now it's evolved. You know, it's a, it's a term that's used for highly technical hacking, which is looking for vulnerabilities in software, you know, ways to get through uh, security controls. Uh, but it, then it's also evolved into just someone taking over, a, you know, a social media account. Um, it can be, you know, there's a variety of methods when it pertains to social media, uh, typically what we see the most of is, you know, these are passwords that have been reused across platforms. So if you reuse a password and uh, one website is breached, then your password is publicly available to, uh, or at least to the hacker community. And they're going to attempt to use that for your social media accounts, you know, your corporate accounts, um, a little bit of everything, your bank accounts, et cetera. So hacking is a, you know, a, a very broad term these days. Uh, how much is how much of a problem has hacking become over the past ten years and some change? Oh, it's it's increased exponentially. You know, the, uh, as there's broader adoption of the internet, of online services, et cetera, as we're you know posting more information about ourselves, uh, we've seen a dramatic increase in the number of of accounts that are hacked, whether it be you know emails, social media, or or something even worse like your your financial accounts. Now uh, it's interesting because I remember back in the old days of, of, the, of, the, of, the, of the late of the early mid 1990s, uh, hacking was considered like had to have you know lots of big computers and folks were trying to get into you know bank accounts and you know sort of the nuclear database and all the movies and everything. But now it's, it seems it seems to have changed and now it's more personal uh, than sort of institutional. It seems like. Yeah, I mean, think about it, you know, even in the um, in, in the world that we live in, you know, a lot of us are, are financially driven. The, the same thing, you know, applies to to the mal actors or the hackers as well. Uh, they go where the money is. So if there's an ability, whether it's to uh, potential blackmail or extortion or whether it's ransomware or getting into your actual financial accounts themselves, um, it's all money driven. Um, and essentially, they're just following the money. And now that we're all connected uh, online, you know, that's where we do the majority of our financial services. That's where we do a lot of our, you know, or spend a lot of our personal time. Um, they're just kind of following the, you know, the the uh, the, the trail. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron, did hacking really uh, pick up uh, during the pandemic? 
I would say so. Yes, we've seen. You know, that was a that was interesting. The evolution or what happened during the pandemic. Um, so so many people all of a sudden had to work from home that have never worked from home before. So so many organizations, businesses were were struggling. You know, they had to adopt a new model of business or a new way of working. Uh, so they send everybody home with laptops and VPNs. Um, but they didn't. Not all organizations had time to really build a solid infrastructure or policy and and structure around their security. So uh, we did see quite a bit, you know, a, a significant increase in in the attempts to hack or or successful hacks um, during the pandemic or caused by. Because I remember, because uh, I teach uh, part time, remember telling my students, you know, if you want to get online, you got to use a password. And they're like, Mr. Abdul, why do you have to use a password? Like, trust me, it's it's a good thing. Got to use a password to get into class. Believe you me. Right. Right. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's interesting because, um, you know, passwords, it's something that I'm hoping uh, passwords will not be the only method of authentication going forward because they're they're so insecure Uh, to make a password secure. It needs to be long and complex. And a lot of people have have problems remembering those. So they tend to write them down, you know, stick it on a post-it note underneath their keyboard, uh, which is in itself not secure. Or they use very simple passwords that can be, um, you know, can be hacked very easily. Um, and then even worse, they reuse those passwords across multiple multiple platforms. So if one breach occurs, then think of it. If you have one password that's shared across, you know, 10 or 15 different accounts, if one online service is breached in some way or that password's caught, you're now exposed. You've now exposed your password for 10 different services. Our guest on the program today is Aaron Rose. He's a security architect with a company called Checkpoint. We're talking about sort of hacking uh, today and how you can protect yourself and uh, your bank accounts and your, uh, your your other personal business and your family members uh, from folks uh, who, who want to do you harm or at least uh, get part of your cash and part of your money. Uh, Aaron, uh, help us out here. How, what are some of the methods that these folks use uh, to hack? Yeah, so there's a there's a variety of methods. Um, typically, what you see the most of is either people reusing passwords, um, so reusing them across multiple platforms, like we mentioned. Um, there's also this rise in something called a phishing attack, um, and it's not phishing spelled with an F; it's spelled with a PH. So phishing is where you receive a link of some sort. So this can come via text message, can come via email, can actually come via messages in social media, and the intent is to get you to click on a link thinking it's one thing, but it's actually doing something else. So a common example, um, I'm sure you've all seen them, where an email will come through and say, congratulations, we would like you to complete this survey uh, for a chance to win a $500 gift card to your favorite retail store. You click on that link and it says, okay, you need to log in first with, uh, use a social media account, you know, something like Facebook or Twitter. You click that um, and you start typing in your credentials because it looks just like Facebook or Twitter's login form. However, it's just a clone. Um, Whatever you type into those fields, so your username, and your password, whatever you type is going to go right back to the hackers. It's a very common method. Uh, Something else is called brute forcing. This is um, typically used when people have very simple passwords, and it's it's a simple method. It's essentially just continuously trying different uh, variations of commonly used passwords until they're successful. Like in the movie Clear and Present Danger when the guy sits at the computer monitor just sort of typing in passwords and he gets on the third try? Right, right. But imagine a computer is doing that automatically, and it's trying a thousand different variations of a password in seconds. Now, see, and that's something uh, that I just I just can't quite get my get my arms around. Is if someone sent you an email that you don't know, uh, you didn't request it yourself. It's someone that you've ever done business with. They say, "Hey, you may have won X, Y, Z." To me, that should be like eight million red flags going off at one time. It 
should, you know, and, um, you know, I, I can't say I fault the community because, you know, these these messages that are coming through, they instill usually a false sense of security. Uh, sometimes, you know, we all share a lot of information on social media. So maybe you just checked in at your favorite restaurant and uh, you had dinner over the weekend and then you get an email that says, hey, you know, whatever your favorite restaurant is, they want to hear about your experience and you, you'll get a gift card for your, you know, for spending the time to do the survey. That is when they start to get creative. And, you know, as creative or as smart as we think we are, you know, we're going against people that this is their job. This is what they do every day. This is how they make their living. Um, so we've seen a, a variety of very creative attacks across the, uh, across the security industry. Yes, because uh, we nearly got hacked a couple summers ago because my wife, uh, who's not very computer savvy, uh, got an email like, hey, there may be something wrong with your computer. So she went to you know, start to log on. I'm like, woman, what are you doing? Like, had to, it, it, was a, it was a very slow motion run and screaming to get her hands off the keyboard at the time. Right. And see exactly what the, you know, the hacker did there. They instilled a sense of urgency. There's something wrong with your computer. You've got to click here to fix this. Um, that's, a, that's a common tactic in something we call social engineering. Our guest on the program today is Aaron Rose. Aaron is Aaron is a security architect at a company called Checkpoint, where they uh, help us out. They deal with hackers and the whole nine yards, particularly in this uh, day age environment, where we're all online and all connected together. Uh, Aaron, I want to change gears a little bit uh, and sort of take this internationally, because obviously, uh, with the situation in the Ukraine and uh, Russia, uh, you know, doing some hacking itself, and the, the president kind of warning companies, hey, you guys got to be on the lookout for, for hackers and the whole nine yards. What can companies do to protect themselves, you know, from hackers, particularly from from the old Soviet? union that's a good question you know there's a variety of methods to um to protect themselves as far as when it comes to a company you know number one you need to have a strong endpoint security uh, uh solution of some sort so something that goes beyond you know the traditional antivirus uh number two is it, it sounds quite simple but it's actually something that's overlooked which is user education and awareness you know constantly educating people and reminding them of the uh, potentials of cybersecurity, the methods that are used, and help train them in spotting, you know, phishing links and that sort of thing. Um, other than that, you know, following the, the best practices of the industry, having a strong, you know, firewall or network level uh, protection, um, those would be probably my, my top three. Um, what about backing up your entire system? Because I've, I've been reading about that lately, that some folks will just uh, back up their system so in case they do get you know, a vic are a victim of ransomware, they don't necessarily have to pay and they still get all their, well, at least most of their data secure. Sure. So, you know, backward, or, uh, backups are, are very uh, an interesting topic. You know, they are a best practice. That is something you need to be doing, especially in the times of ransomware. However, you got to think about these backups. Where are they? Are they located in the same location online, uh, network accessible um, as your as the network that could potentially be breached for ransomware? Are they offline? Um, how often are you taking these backups? And then a, another big question, you know, downtime of of a business. You know, there's a cost associated with every minute that a business uh, their services are down. So how long does it take you to actually restore from a backup? And have you practiced your your backup and what we call disaster recovery or business continuity? strategies. Uh, those need to be well documented and, and maintained and practiced regularly. Now, I'm assuming this is even more important now with so many people working from home these days. 
Absolutely. You know, if you earlier we were talking about this work from home uh, initiative that came about with uh, with the pandemic. So you have a lot of users going home. Um, they're accessing corporate or you know business uh, resources there on their home networks. But how many people? You know, I'm a security professional, so of course I have some checkpoint technology here in my home. But how many people have a you know an enterprise grade firewall or enterprise grade security solution sitting on their home network? Not too many. Um, how many people have kids that have computers that are or tablets that they're clicking on everything, they're playing games, et cetera? So there was a it was essentially a whole new attack vector that we had to consider as security professionals to help protect organizations that were sending you know employees uh, home with laptops to work. And that was funny. I was going to ask you about that because if the if the company's sending your lap, laptop home to work, or your kid's got a tablet, how do you how do you protect yourself if you're in a if you're in a house full of say either 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 very non savvy technical people, or the the kids who are like hey there's a nice shiny object you know, on my iPad I want to press that. So, you know, my gut instinct is to talk about education. So educating your children on what to click on and what not to click on. You know, the tablets and such have a variety of security controls today that you can enable to uh, to try to protect them. But let's all be real. Kids, just like you said, if there's a shiny object, they're going to click it. Uh, so at that point, you know, the uh, the employee that's working from home, their, their laptop device needs to have strong security controls in place. And then, of course, your, uh, your policies, without getting too technical, that allow that remote access back to those resources, uh, something we call VPN technologies. Um, you need to have policies in place there that prevent any kind of malware from, from crossing that threshold from the home network onto the business's network. Uh, so there's, you know, there's quite a bit of uh, what we call attack services or, or, or vectors that need to be considered and, um, and appropriate security controls put in place. Aaron Rose with us for a few more minutes on the program today. He's a security architect with a company called Checkpoint. Uh, we're talking about sort of hacking and how to protect yourself and your, and your information online in the whole nine yards. Uh, Aaron, uh, Aaron, let me ask you, is it really, when, when we look at uh, just how much of our personal information is out there these days, I mean, you, know, you go to Target, you swipe your credit card, you get, a, you get a receipt for basically not your next purchase, but your purchase like two, three months down the road when you're probably going to need something. How much of our personal information is actually out there and how much can, can, really be, can it really be protected? That's a great question. You know, we are every day we're posting so much information. So we, we share a lot of information on social media, but then we also have organizations, you know, collecting private, you know, information about us, you know, our, our shopping habits. Um, I think it's been made very, or uh, I should say public awareness has improved uh, just because of things like uh, privacy acts that are being put in place in, in multiple states as well as abroad. Um, but then of course you have uh, corporations like Apple, you know, Apple now uh, uh, alerts you when an app on your phone is, you know, tracking data. And it, it asks you, would you like to allow this app to, you know, track this kind of data? Uh, do you want it to have access to your, um, your, to your microphone, to your camera, to your files, to your photos? Uh, so that has really helped, I, I would say, the community, you know, become more aware of what people are tracking. And then, of course, you have to make the decision as a consumer. Um, if, you know, someone like Target, if they're collecting this information, do I trust them? Do I trust them to keep me uh, to keep my data secure? Uh, because ultimately, on the other side of things, you know, if an organization like Target or any other, if they're breached, um, you know, that's a, a public relations issue for them. That could hurt, you know, their their uh, their profit margins and such. So there's a lot of considerations out there when it comes to private information being collected and shared. Uh, what uh, a couple of questions for let's go, my friend. Uh, one of the things I notice because uh, Google does this uh, on Google Chrome is if you're on a website and you have to type 
type in a password for the first time, Google will recommend a password for you. Uh, should folks mm -hmm. take advantage of that, or should they go do their own? So, um, me personally, you know, it, there, there's there's benefits and there's risks to this. Um, I personally do not use the built-in uh, password management of browsers just because in the past we've seen some issues with that being very easily exposed. I do use a third-party password manager. Um, I, I think it's an excellent choice because it allows you to generate very long, very complex passwords that are unique to each website, to each service you, you access. Um, and however, you don't have to remember all of those. Uh, you only have to remember your, your master password which is something that you can make very complex but easy for you to remember because you're only remembering one password. Um, and then, of course, you can protect it with things like multi-factor or two-factor authentication to, uh, to increase your security. And when you talk about that multi-factor identification, it's when I log onto a computer at work and it says, okay, here's a six-digit number. Well, we've got to call your phone and text it to you and then type that mm -hmm. number into the computer system. Right. Yes. That's that's one example of it. I won't say that is the most secure because uh, we have seen examples where, you know, if they really want to come after you, they're they're calling your cell phone company and trying to get your service transferred to their SIM card, to their phone so they can receive those numbers. Uh, so that's, you know, it's better than nothing. Um, however, there are much more advanced or more secure versions of multi-factor uh, that are being employed by some of the larger organizations in the world. And we're starting to see that more commonplace now where if you go to log into, you know, just like Google.com, like your Gmail, um, it will actually prompt you and say, okay, I need you to approve this from a device that I've seen before. So it might pop up on your phone or, or a tablet or a laptop and say, do you approve this login? That's a different type of multi-factor uh, that's a bit stronger than, than standard text messaging or phone calls. So, my friend, as we get ready to wind down here, uh, what are the one, two, three things that folks can do who are listening to this conversation, uh, either on the radio or, or online or in a podcast, that they can do to protect themselves and their information uh, and their families uh, uh, in the world of cybersecurity? Sure. So I would say, number one, don't reuse passwords. Um, that's that's the number one thing if you can take anything from this message. Uh, number two, be careful if you're using any kind of public computer. So if you're going to a public library and such, uh, typically those you do not want to be logging into, um, you know, your financial accounts and such. Uh, so that's that's big because a lot of people either forget to log out or, or maybe there's been somebody bad there before that's installed something, like a keylogger, something that grabbed your password, um, or you actually and only click that save button and save your password inside of the browser for the next person that that walks up. Uh, so be careful about that as well. And then lastly, you know, on any service that allows you to uh, enable multi-factor. Um, if you have to use SMS, that's the the thing that works for you. That's better than nothing. However, if they offer you know something that's a little bit stronger than SMS, any other multi-factor authentication capability, uh, please enable that. Oh, and I did have one more question. Uh, public Wi-Fi, sure. uh, safe, secure, don't use them. Use your own secure card. What do you recommend? Oh, man, public Wi-Fi. So uh, public Wi-Fi, I would definitely recommend if you have your own cell phone hotspot or, or something of that nature, please use it. Um, however, if you do have to use a public Wi-Fi, like something like in an airport or, or what have you, um, use a VPN. 
there's a number of VPN technologies out there or services that are that are relatively inexpensive that will actually encrypt your data. So your data is not visible on that Wi-Fi network uh, to anyone else that's connecting or, or could be listening in. Um, so be careful with public Wi-Fi and, and think about, you know, do you need to uh, specifically access certain things? Do you need to be able to log into your bank while you're sitting at the airport? If you can do that from your phone over a cellular connection, it's much more secure. Um, so think about what you need and what the urgency is of accessing that information when you're when you're connecting to public Wi-Fi. All righty. Well, our guest on the program today has been Aaron Rose. Uh, Aaron is a security architect uh, with Checkpoint. Uh, they kind of do cybersecurity. So, Aaron, my friend, thank you very much for being with us. Had a really good conversation. We'll talk to you again real soon, my friend. All right. Great. Thank you, Abdul. Thanks for having me. This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.